on July 19, 2023, National Polygamy Advocate Mark Hinkle shares what I had to learn and grow in the 2010s. Hello, friends, supporters, listeners, and sharers. Two weeks ago, in the episode number 277 of July 5, 2023, of this National Polygamy Advocate podcast, I started a series of episodes. This new series seeks to walk us through the history of the movement of both Christian polygamy and of UCAP, Unrelated Consenting Adult Polygamy, in terms of what I myself had to learn and to grow throughout each of these past decades. In that episode number 277 of July 5, 2023, I shared the decade of the 1990s. In last week's episode, number 278, of July 12, 2023, I shared the decade of the 2000s. In this week's current episode, number 279, of July 19, 2023, I will share what I had to learn and grow in the next decade, the 2010s. And so, looking back on the 2000s, While the decade of the 1990s had ended with so much hope in the coming decade, the 2000s, as positive as it was during the decade, the years of the 2000s ended with some darker threats to the movement's freedom for UCAP, UCAP, Unrelated Consenting Adult Polygamy. Still, we held on to hope. After all, in 2008, the United States had elected its first African-American president, While I did not support the politics of President Barack Obama, I was glad to see that our country could finally get past that historic hurdle. I even borrowed from Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech to declare that, quote, I have a dream that one day a man will be judged, not based on the number of consenting adult wives who willingly marry him, but indeed based only on the content of his character, unquote. As this was reported on November 7, 2008, by the media distribution site ProPolygamy.com, quote, For polygamous Americans, the dream continues, unquote. For the first few years of the 2010s, the so-called tech giants, technology giants, seemed to be willing to let anyone still be heard, for the most part. The Google monopoly had a thing called Google News in which it allowed people to find news articles by searching in Google News. In those days, the Google monopoly chose to allow our media distribution site, ProPolygamy.com, to be included. That way, people could find the actual perspective about polygamy from our authorized source. At the same time, due to great pushback, the privacy invader Facebook had returned privacy controls back to personal profiles. Of course, by then, it was too late for my Facebook profile, after the December 2, 2009 privacy invasion, that wrongly exposed all who supported me publicly, which had forced me to have to delete all those contacts, and to have to move to a page with what were then called fans instead. For clarity, the difference between a Facebook profile versus a Facebook page, is that profiles are for people, like myself personally, 
while pages are for businesses and public personalities, like myself professionally as the National Polygamy Advocate. At that time, millions of small businesses around the globe gave Facebook billions of dollars of free advertising on their street-side read-aboard signs. Small businesses everywhere put Facebook on the map with the free advertising of saying, like us on Facebook. Everywhere you drove in those days, you would see these ubiquitous words, like us on Facebook, like us on Facebook. But Facebook never paid a dime for those billions of dollars worth of free advertising by the small businesses. The promise by Facebook that motivated small businesses to do that was the social media promise as a way to reach all their own customers easily, as well as find new ones. But the thing is, those customers that liked the pages were the customers of the small businesses, not Facebook. Again, it was the small businesses that helped Facebook get started. But in 2012, what did the human-hating male to whom I refer as Mark Everyone is a Zuckerberg do? The founder of Facebook betrayed all those millions of small businesses who had put him on the map. He stole the customers of the small businesses who had joined because of their read-aboard signs of, like us on Facebook. Mark, everyone is a Zuckerberg, throttled what was called the reach of pages. That is, when the admin of a Facebook page makes a post, the admin would do so in order to communicate with the fans who liked the page. That was the promise of social media. Reach is defined by the number of how many fans that a post would reach, i.e. be seen, by the fans who liked the page. Mark, everyone is a Zuckerberg, had killed Reach on purpose. And he did not just lower the Reach. Oh, no. He made it so that only two people out of every 100 people who liked a page would actually be allowed to see a post. In other words, Mark, everyone is a Zuckerberg, reduced organic reach to a page's own fans to only 2%. 2%! That means for every 10,000 people who told Facebook that they like a page and that they want to see the post from it, Mark, Everyone is a Zuckerberg denied 98% of them from even knowing when a page had made a post. Worse, the only way to get back that reach was to pay, and pay massively overpriced rates to reach your own fans, your own customers. Worst of all, that crazy hyperinflated price was set for every single unique post a page might ever make. Not only had Mark, everyone is a Zuckerberg, thoroughly betrayed the millions of small businesses who had put his site on the map, but he was so over-the-top greedy that he priced it way beyond the affordability of most small businesses. The result was that only the largest of the big government-born corporations could afford to reach their own fans, their own customers.
so much for the promise of social media. It's actually a broken promise. Now, to be clear, I am a capitalist, not a corporatist. Capitalism is about honest exchange of value for value between individuals. What Facebook as a corporation had done is steal the customer lists of the small businesses, the ones who had put Facebook on the map with the billions and billions of free advertising of like us on Facebook. And then Facebook would blackmail those same small businesses to reach their own customers. The consequence was a brutal method to still impede on movements such as ours from even being able to reach each other. So I had to learn and grow even more on how to handle this anti-free exchange interference. Also, in 2013, the world learned from a whistleblower named Edward Snowden that the Obama administration's National Security Agency, the NSA for short, was committing treason by spying on U.S. citizens without warrants. God help us. I watched as make-believe conservatives came to the defense of that anti-constitutional tyranny. This was on top of the so-called Patriot Act after 9-1-1 a decade earlier that had authorized anti-constitutional invasions of privacy with hired airport gropers of the TSA, the Transportation Security Administration. With all these things together, everything seemed to be routinely pointing more and more of why the issue of privacy would be so important to us in UCAP, UCAP, Unrelated Consenting Adult Polygamy. I had much to learn and grow about this indeed, for our sake. Also in 2013, the prominence of smartphones being used in order to see websites changed how websites are presented. A new technique of coding called responsive design became the new standard. Using responsive design, a website would know which media a surfer was using, whether the surfer was surfing from a smartphone or from a computer browser. And then it would display the website in a design that looks best for whichever medium was being used. The design was responsive that way, hence responsive design. Many of the sites being hosted through the servers of the truthbearer.org organization had to be updated to the new responsive design. Ironically, like the maxim that says, the cobbler's children have no shoes, the main site of the truthbearer.org organization was among the rare few out of all the other sites being hosted that was purposely not so updated. <laughs> Nevertheless, Responsive design became yet another issue about which I had to further learn and grow. While all this was going on, not everything was bad, and not everything was about internet technology either. Indeed, as the 2010s started, I realized that it would be most helpful for all of us for me to learn, develop, and grow my own public speaking skills. Sure, I had given countless interviews and was able to speak in relevant public hearings. But I believed that I still needed to get so much better at making speeches and delivering speeches. I even joined an organization called Toastmasters. I took it very seriously and earned their top distinction of 
Distinguished Toastmaster, DTM, in exactly three years. At that time, that credential was something that only a small percentage, something like 2 to 5%, something like that, of people in the organization ever achieved the DTM. And of those who did, they usually would take about eight years to do it. While I was expanding my skill set, I also began giving speeches on our topic. I recorded the videos and posted them on YouTube, as owned by the Google Monopoly, on the channel youtube.com slash National Polygamy Advocate. As a proven public speaker, I was even asked to give a lengthy keynote speech at the Yale Political Union. This lofty event at Yale University had previously invited numerous elites who also gave similar speeches on their own topics. Such past speakers there include U.S. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, Senator and U.S. Presidential Candidate John Kerry, and numerous other famous political names. A DVD of the speeches I gave there at Yale was even developed and made available for purchase titled Why You Will Vote Yes to Repeal Anti-Polygamy Laws for Consenting Adults. On that day, when I had arrived to give that requested keynote speech, it seemed that about 80% of the people there at the Yale Political Union were expecting to be hostile toward my topic. By the end of the day, though, my speeches had gone over so well that they could not even get a majority to still say no. Victory! We had made history again. Yes. Ah, the power of learning and growing. Effective, powerful, and persuasive public speaking skills. Throughout the rest of the 2010s decade, I would continue to learn and grow those public speaking skills. I mentored others, personally competed in speech contests, and even trophied in a contest spanning a geography of three U.S. states and three Canadian provinces. In order to strengthen those skills and to raise them up to the next level, I also developed speeches for other topics and audiences too. Perhaps I will talk about those at some time in the future. Anyway, on June 26, 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down the Hollingsworth v. Perry decision and the United States v. Windsor decision. And then two years later, June 26, 2015, they decided the Obergefell v. Hodges case. With those cases on the significant date of June 26 each time, the Supreme Court forcefully legalized same-sex marriage in the United States. You'd think these could have been helpful for UCAP, UCAP, Unrelated Consenting Adult Polygamy. But following a reality TV show about Mormon polygamy called Sister Wives, which led to a court filing of the Brown v. Buman case, it went up through the court system in the 2010s. The Supreme Court in January 2017 then dismissed the case on a technicality of legal standing, just as they had done in Hollingsworth v. Perry. Indeed, as I have repeatedly exclaimed, Brown v. Buman is our Hollingsworth. That is, the Sister Wives case was our polygamy rights movement's own version of the final Hollingsworth decision of non-decision. 
While all that was happening, in the mid part of the 2010s, while Facebook was failing small businesses, and failing my own Facebook page too, of course, a resume kind of social media site emerged called LinkedIn. It started off fantastically. I had even used the site to write about the Brown v. Buman case. The site LinkedIn had a unique concept for forums among people of similar industry. I spent a couple of years posting on those forums, expanding my skill set and public speaking contacts. By the end of the 2010s, though, LinkedIn had abandoned the forums and was gobbled up by Microsoft, which only made the site even worse. I also had used Twitter. Like Facebook, though, the reach to people who followed me was throttled at Twitter. The number of followers was never allowed to expand. As so many others who had been censored, I too had been shadow banned on Twitter. To be clear here, I have neither posted nor written anything that any reasonable person would rationally think could be used to justify ever shadow banning me. That term shadow banned refers to the posts by a profile being prevented from being seen by anyone while not telling the profile owner about the ban so that the profile owner still and wrongly thinks that their posts are being seen when they are not. I must clarify here that all of this happened long before Elon Musk bought Twitter in the next decade, reportedly making many changes to these issues. And it was also long before a judge in 2023 exposed the corruption between the Obama and Biden administrations and their government insider minions during the Trump presidency, violating free speech by the government unconstitutionally telling or strong-arming social media companies like Twitter and Facebook about whom and what to block and ban as so-called misinformation. While President Trump, for whom I have never voted, frequently and accurately called out fake news, I had been pointing out similarly with what I referred to as the manufactured news corporations for over a decade before Trump. Oh, and one more thing. By the end of the 2010s, the Google monopoly had stopped letting news reports from our media distribution site, ProPolygamy.com, from being seen in Google News anymore. So much for unbiased news. Misinformation, indeed. Only the preferred manufactured news corporations were authorized, were prioritized, were allowed to be seen. No longer could our actual pro-polygamy perspective be found in the news searches. Anyway, I point all this out to say this. The so-called tech giants, technology giants, from the Google monopoly to mark everyone is a Zuckerberg, his Facebook, to Twitter, all in anti-constitutional collusion with the government, telling them what to do, had certainly impeded the ability for us to get our word out about UCAP, unrelated consenting adult polygamy. This all made the end of the 2010s into being an even darker ending than what we had seen at the end of the previous decade, at the end of the 2000s. Still again, we held on to hope. Adversity can be a teacher that makes us even stronger. 
With that in mind, we can surely say that the darker ending of the 2010s definitely made it possible, even more, for me to learn and grow. And I have always been reminded to learn and grow in keeping hope and focusing on healthy positivity. With that in mind, and in order to bring this episode here to a conclusion on such an excited positive note, remember this too. In March 2018, I began uploading the numerous media interviews, one each per week, thus beginning this National Polygamy Advocate podcast. So yeah, I had a lot to learn and grow. I had to become a public speaker, a privacy protector for each of us in UCAP, a manager of the problematic tech giant sites, a podcast uploader, and a person ever keeping hope under disappointment. And that was just the third decade of all of what I have also had to learn and grow over the decades. I will share even more about that, specifically the early years of this current decade of the 2020s, in the next coming episode, number 280. Stay tuned. And yet again, till then, thank you for celebrating, supporting, listening to, and sharing the National Polygamy Advocate Podcast. Mark Henkel is National Polygamy Advocate. Presented polygamy to the public since 1994. National Polygamy Advocate. Dot com.